0: listening to the Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense. Discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Okay, so the cooling, as it's called in the Irish, or the Toin, I'm probably going to just refer to it as the Toin, it's spelled in a really weird way. So it's T-A-I-N space B-O space C-U-A- L-I-N-G-E. Toyin Bacooling. It's a weird Irish spelling. All the names in this story are going to be extraordinarily weird.
1: I feel like weird Irish spelling is almost redundant.
0: That's true. Not as weird as the Welsh. So we'll give them that. I think I figured out how to say all these names correctly, but if not, I apologize, especially because I am living in Ireland, so I should be able to pronounce these at least somewhat correctly now. But it's also known as the Cattle Raid of Cooley, and it's probably the most famous of all the Irish stories. There's generally a couple figures in Irish lore that any Irish person knows, and one of them is Cucullan, who is the hero of the Toyn. Another is Brian Boru as well, there's a fencing club named after him, but he's later. So we're going to talk about Cucullan.
1: And Finn McCool, he's the other one I hear about Ooh, Yes.
0: Way. Yes, him as well. And the Toyne is an Irish epic, so it's basically the equivalent to the Greek Iliad and the Odyssey or the Roman Aeneid or the Old English Beowulf.
1: Except instead of about wars or monsters, it's about stealing cows.
0: Basically. But the funny thing about this is that there are multiple accounts of cattle raids in Irish history and poetic history. So it is basically a war, even though it starts over a fight for a cow. So yeah, so it is poetic as all epics should be. And some background to the story before we jump into it: the toin is folkloric in its origin and includes several appearances of the Tuatha De and that's basically the Irish gods. The primary deity lug L U G or Lug is said to be Cú father. And the toin comes from an oral tradition which was eventually recorded da, 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 da. so we have a couple versions of this story. There's two complete versions of it. The first one is found in the 12th century Book of Duncow, which also has an Irish name but I cannot possibly pronounce that so if you google it just just the book of duncao and the 14th century manuscript which is the yellow book of lichen and these two versions of the story are kind of they're incomplete on their own and they overlap but they can be smushed together to give you one whole version of the tale and then the second version of the story that we have was put together in a 12th century text which is compiled with a bunch of other works in the book of leinster which is housed at trinity so If you want, you can go up into the reading room and take it out and actually look at it, which is kind of cool. I'll see if I can get permission to take some pictures of it. I'm sure there's some online, but it'd be kind of cool to just go back and look at it. And funnily enough, the scribe who compiled this tale seemed to take it more as an exercise of writing it down and copying it because it was copied more in a modern style. And there's a little Latin colophon at the end, which translates to... I, however, who have copied this history, or more truly, a legend, give it no credence to various incidents narrated in it. For some things herein are the feats of jugglery of demons, sundry others' poetic figments, a few are probable, others improbable, and even more invented for the delectation of fools.
1: Did you say jugglery?
0: Yes, it says jugglery of demons.
1: I want to make these demons juggle.
0: (laughs) So take that as you will. There is a lot of Irish folklore and magic in this story, so much so that I've done a little bit of research and writing on this myself, but I'm very excited to jump into that. But it does tell you something that it was copied over anyway. Even though it's got demons in it, and clearly this is a legend and not actual history. Da, 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 da. So take that as you will, Christian scribe who wrote it down.
1: Well, as long as you say they're demons instead of fairies or something, I think you can get away with it, or at least that's a lot of what uh, Richard Firth Green has to say about
0: it. mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a lot of switching over between pagan words and then words like, oh, we're just gonna pigeonhole this into demons and kind of just squish that away and and not talk about it. Although, interesting side fact that I just found, I was researching this actually, the majority of necromancers in the medieval period were church clerics.
1: I would like to know where you got a list of necromancers.
0: (laughs) It doesn't have a list of necromancers, but there's a beautiful book that talks about this and I actually have it with me because it's a very interesting book, and it's called "Aspects of Anglo-Saxon Magic."
1: Oh, that does sound. By
0: Bill Griffiths, it was published in ninety-three, so it's fairly recent insofar as academia is concerned, especially about writings of medieval magic. A lot of which were written either in the Victorian period or like the eighties.
1: Wait, does that make it older than you?
0: Yes, by a year.
1: But it's fairly recent. It's
0: fairly, re- I'm fairly recent. I resemble that <laughs> remark.
1: <laughs> I mean, usually I I wouldn't consider recent scholarship something that like the people studying it are younger than. That's
0: fair. That is a fair critique. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me as a medievalist. But yeah, I don't fair. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, it's a highly intriguing book. I really have enjoyed it. And I'll list it in our little library list in Marginalia. But anyway, yes. Bill Griffith. Okay, and I was wrong, actually, because I wanted to double check. So Aspects of Anglo-Saxon Magic is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it. But the actual article that I was thinking of is Michael Bailey's Meanings of Magic, in which he says most necromancers were low-level clerical elites.
1: I mean, I can understand that because that's the people who would have access to old like texts and stuff. Yeah,
0: exactly. And the fact that it's low-level medieval elites is interesting because it's like, oh, they can't get power really any other way. So they're using what they have available to them. So I guess if worshiping God doesn't work, turn to necromancy? Question mark?
1: Or maybe they're young and they're just playing around.
0: That's also true.
1: I don't know. I just read the name of the rose over the summer, so that's always, <laughs> that's what I keep thinking of every time it, uh, monks come up.
0: Young and playing around. You know, everyone has a necromancy phase. They'll they all get over it eventually.
1: Honestly, that's probably true.
0: <laughs> I don't know if it's the same with guys, but pretty much every girl goes through a witch phase. Where you're like, you're making giant pots, like mud pots and stirring them up with sticks and leaves and you're making a potion.
1: I think I did some of that as a kid.
0: Yeah. I feel like every kid goes through like a a witch phase or a wizard phase. It's just part of it. Okay, so a little bit more background before we actually jump into the text. The Toyne is part of a series of stories called the Ulster Cycle, which primarily recalls the exploits, unsurprisingly, of the Ulstermen of Ireland, which basically encompasses all of what is modern Ireland and a little bit more. So that's what's referred to when we're talking about Ulster. Yes.
1: How can you have a little bit more if Ireland is an island,
0: because it's I'm talking about Did Northern, no, like Northern Ireland, like the modern country of Northern Ireland, plus a little bit more oh. territory.
1: Oh, okay, yes. okay. I, I think I, I, I guess I just didn't hear the Northern. Yes,
0: because Ireland is split. <laughs> yes, yes, which is still taken very seriously. I imagine, especially
1: <laughs> now that they have to start talking about like border, control, oh, like hard right?
0: borders. Yeah. Yeah, it is, a, it is a touchy subject that I, as an American living abroad, don't really comment on but listen quite thoroughly to. And you learn a lot. It's very, very interesting. But regardless, so Ulster is basically Northern Ireland, plus a little bit more. The toin also has a lot of scala which are basically prefacing tales. They're little stories that get tagged on with it. And they set the scene for the main bulk of the story. And they're not technically a part of the epic, but a lot of modern editions will include them because they do bring more background into the story. And so when we were talking a bit about... Mactytho's pig in the last one that sort of has those connections to Cucullin and Cucullin's boyhood deeds. So that's one of those kind of satires of a remscala that kind of pops up in other English stories. English. Wow. Irish. Other Irish stories. I just went full Anglo-Irish there. That was horrific. You did. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple translations of the text out there. The most accessible one is the translation by Kieran Carson. That's the one that I originally read when I first studied this. It's the most accessible in terms of easy to read, but I'll be drawing from the translations by Professor Joseph Dunn, which is primarily translated from the Book of Leinster. And there's also one by L. Winifred Faraday which uses the Duncow and the Yellow Book manuscript. So the two translations that I will be pulling from are both available for free on Project Gutenberg, so you can find those, and I'll link to them in our blog post for the episode. And I'll also link to them in our massive text list for the library. So just so you know, I'm pulling from basically all of the complete translations that we have because that gives us sort of a, the most complete look of the story of the Toyn in total. And... Also for DMs out there, there's some great geographical names and personal names that are wonderful resources. And I'll make a list of those in the blog post. And the Faraday version has the list of geographical terms at the very beginning. And the Dunn version has a list of names with pronunciation guides on page 371. So if you want to know how to pronounce these names, there is a guide. You can Google it, but there's also just a massive list at the back. So I highly encourage anyone who's looking for weird Irish names to use that list.
1: However, if you do your mapping on a computer, you won't be able to use the Faraday version.
0: Yes, that's that's fair. Okay, so with that, let's jump into the actual text. Here begin us, the Toyin Bakuling. The first chapter is entitled... The pillow talk, which you already know we're getting off to a good start when it starts with pillow talk.
1: I mean, there's a long tradition. That's how uh, (laughs) the Arabian Nights start off. True, true. I mean, mostly.
0: Mostly. So once of a time and once upon a time, basically. So you can tell already that this is the later version of this text, not the earlier version, because the once upon a time motif is kind of a later medieval invention that I believe comes from more French influence with the lay of Marie de France, but don't quote me on that. Uh, once upon a time, that Alil and Maeve had spread their royal bed in Cruachan, the stronghold of Connacht. Such was the pillow talk that fell betwixt them.
1: Who is Alil?
0: Hmm. Who is Alil?
1: Are we supposed to know who Allele
0: is? Generally, yes. And that's actually a really good point because family trees can get very complicated. Not as complicated as the sagas, I'm sure you'll remember, but um, mm. they can get kind of complicated. So uh, we've encountered Allele and Maeve before. So they are also included in the story of Mactitho's pig. Aleel and Maeve are the king and queen of, I believe they're king and queen of Connacht and they're going to invade Ulster. So that is where this whole story begins. So we have Aleel and Maeve, they're married, they're king and queen. And then we have Cucullin, who is the adopted foster son of King Mac Nessa, who is king of the Ulstermen, I believe. So that's our sort of starting geography here. Quoth Aleel, true is the saying, lady, she is a well-off woman that is a rich man's wife. Aye, she is, answered the wife, but wherefore opinest thou so? So, like, why are you saying this now?
1: Hey, hun, I just realized that you're so lucky to be married to me.
0: Basically.
1: Why are you telling me this? <laughs>
0: like, why are you saying this? Like, I feel like this is how to start an argument with your wife 101. Yeah for this Alil replied that thou art this day better off than the day that i first took thee then answered maeve as well off was i before i ever saw thee it was wealth forsooth that we never heard nor knew of aleel said but a woman's wealth was all thou had, and foes from lands were thine, and used to carry off the spoil and booty that they took from you. Not so was I, quoth Maeve, the high king of Erin himself was my sire, Echo Fedlech, the enduring, son of Finn by name, who was son of da 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 There's this long list of Irish names that I'm not going to go through. And then she goes through how many daughters that this king had, so she's basically saying I am hot stuff and you are so wrong because I was rich before I married you. Fair enough.
1: This is definitely how to start an argument with your wife.
0: Definitely. Twas I the goodliest of them in bounty and gift-giving, in riches and in treasures. Twas I was best of them in battle and strife and combat. Which is interesting because does that imply that Maeve was out in battle? Like she was a battle warrior as well as being a princess?
1: Could be. Or it could be that she and her sisters just, got in a lot of fights
0: also that i don't have another sister but i was a girl who would get into fights with my brother so i can back that up it didn't help that we both did martial arts so all right "'Twas I that had fifteen hundred royal mercenaries, and the sons of aliens exiled from their own land, and as many more the sons of freemen of the land. And there were ten men with every one of these hirelings, and nine men with every hireling, and eight men with every hireling, and seven men, and so on and so forth. And then we get all the way to two and one." blah 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 there was a standing household guard continued mave hence that it hath my father bestowed on one of the five provinces of erin upon me even the province of Krukan, wherefore mave of Krukan i am called and so she basically goes through in this little list how much she had even before she married king elil
1: including apparently she's a monarch in her own right yeah like Irrelevant to whether she's married to him or not. Exactly.
0: And she goes on and she says, such as no woman ever before me had required of a man or the men of Aaron, namely a husband without avarice, without jealousy, and without fear. For should he be mean, the man with whom I should live, we were ill-matched together inasmuch as I am great in largeness and give giving, and it would be a disgrace for my husband should I be better at spending than him.
1: I'm sorry, did you say largess largess, or largeness?
0: In largess. I am great in okay. largess and gift giving. <laughs> or large largess. I, I would
1: have questions if she was great in largeness. Yes,
0: she is not she is not great in largeness that is not what's there but she's she's great in her gift giving. She's very generous, which historically is what you want to be as a king. This is very right. prominent in the old english texts it's prominent in beowulf this idea that there's this economy of honor which is a fantastic article i don't remember who it's by but another fantastic article to read about how honor is something that can be exchanged and kings should give out gifts because that is how they get even more honor they receive honor by giving out gifts and warriors gain honor by going and doing great deeds so that's sort of where this idea of chivalry and princeliness comes from so we see this here obviously when mave is like how dare you say that i'm better off now than i was before marrying you like what point are you trying to make
1: yeah you get it in in scandinavian societies too because a lot of the kennings for like king or leader are mean something like giver of various kinds of jewelry
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ring giver is one of the big ones yeah, stuff yeah. Like that. all right whoso brings shame and sorrow and madness upon thee no claim for compensation nor satisfaction hast thou therefore that i myself not have but it is to me as the compensation belongs said mave for a man dependent upon a woman's maintenance is what thou art so she just threw him under the bus big time Yep. Nay, not such was my state, said Aleel, but two brothers had I, one of them over Tamar and the other over Leinster, namely Finn over Leinster and Karva over Tamar. I left the kingship to them because they were older, but not superior to me in largess and bounty. <laughs> Nor, oh, I know, he's just, he's having a real hard time here. Uh, well, she did just
1: call him a kept man. I'm sure that hurts his pride.
0: Yeah, a little bit, especially if, as this is pillow talk. You know, they've just gone to bed together and Aaliyah's like, you're pretty lucky to be married to me. And then she lambastes him and now he's trying to, you know, gain back a little bit of his pride. And so he's trying to establish his line.
1: This is why you've got to keep that machismo in- <laughs> under control or yeah. You end up saying crazy stupid
0: Really shit. stupid things. And who could there be for me to have as my queen better than thyself? being, as thou wert, daughter of the high king of Erin, Yet, so it is, pursued Maeve, my fortune is greater than thine. I marvel at that, Aleel made answer, for there is none that hath greater treasures and riches than wealth than I. Yea, to my knowledge, there is not. So, thus ends chapter one, section one of the Toyn. It's literally just a massive dick-measuring contest between the king and the queen over who's richer and whose kingdom has more goods, which you'd think being a successful king and queen, you could unite these two kingdoms and just reign happily and just do like a whole Ferdinand and Isabella thing. But just as that fell apart, so too does Aleel and Maeve's marriage fall apart.
1: I don't know. If, if I were Maeve, I wouldn't want to be giving allele control over any of my stuff, because it sounds like he does not have a good head on his shoulders. Fair
0: enough. And she is the daughter of the High King of Ireland as well. Like She's not just anybody, like any, any king's daughter. This is the High King of all of Ireland, who theoretically has a say over the rest of Ireland as a whole. So chapter two begins the occasion of the toin. So, then were brought to them the least precious of their possessions, that they might know which of them had more treasures, riches, and wealth. Their pails and their cauldrons and their iron-wrought vessels, their jugs and their keeves and their eared pitchers were fetched to them. Likewise, their rings and their bracelets and their thumb rings and their golden treasures were fetched to them, which I don't know what the difference is between like a regular ring and a thumb ring, except for size.
1: Uh, They may be thinking of arm rings.
0: Oh, like the torques. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: I'm confused as to how you would establish like what is the least precious of your possessions? Cuz like if someone said bring me the least valuable thing you've got in your house, I'd get like a mostly empty bag of rice or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or I don't know, like Rather pick up the trash, trash bag sculpture. or something.
1: <laughs> like you've got all kinds of crap laying around yeah. that's not worth anything. Let me just open my let me living.
0: open the junk drawer here and pull out a rubber band. <laughs> something like yeah,
1: that. Like, I'm, I'm sure he technically owns like a pig or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or some kind of food storage.
0: Yeah.
1: And go like this grain, this grain is not worth anything.
0: But I have more than a you. single
1: grain. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So like the point of this section is just to say, it's like, okay, well, we're going to take everything that we possibly have and stack it all together in one giant mound, like a dragon's hoard and see who has more. So this is a long night for the people living living with them, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would not want to be working in their household.
0: No, def- can you imagine the fights? Like you're just that servant who's standing outside the door guarding and you're like, oh, oh, there they go again. When am I off? Oh, two more hours. Oh boy. <laughs>
1: And they burst out like, bring us all of our possessions (laughs) so we can
0: pile them up. like, oh, yes, my queen, (laughs) I am sworn to carry your burdens. (laughs) Oh, no. So we have this wonderful list of all of their clothing, the colors of the clothing, the flocks. Like, they're, they're not just doing possessions. We're talking about flocks of sheep counted and compared
1: the sheep in a pile it
0: doesn't say but it does say they were led in from fields and meads and plains so they're taking and the irish have a tradition of you just let the sheep go and then and in one part of the season you bring them back
1: i think they do that in most of rural britain
0: yeah and in iceland as well so imagine that You're a shepherd. It's the off season because the sheep are just doing their thing on the hills. And you get a message, um, like a messenger from the king. A courier comes up to you and they're like, yeah, the king and queen are at it again. We need all the sheep rounded up right now. So all the sheep are brought in and there's an uncommonly fine ram in Maeve's herd. It says that he is equal in worth to a bond maiden, but a corresponding ram was found over the ewes of a lil. So this doesn't separate them. So they're still the same rank. And so the horses and the steeds and the studs are brought in.
1: I, I feel like this is implied that they're still in bed.
0: I know. like <laughs>
1: People are just freaking all these sheep into their bed chamber.
0: This would be a great Monty Python skit, in my opinion. Like, you have the king and the queen just lounging in bed, and there's just, sh- like, sheep going through, and you're just waiting, and then the next thing you know, there's just horses going through, and they're just trying to decide I'm who's this is better.
1: arguing over, like, ah, look at how nice this ram is. Well, I've found another one in my yeah, head that's equally exactly.
0: Nice. Uh, So they find a noteworthy horse. Did they even bother to get dressed? I mean, why would you if you're the king and queen? Like, just stay in bed. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of hate sex going on in this relationship. Yeah, A lot of it. So they find a noteworthy horse in Maeve's herd, but they also find one in Alleles. And so then they drive the swine in. And again, they find a noteworthy boar among both groups both flocks both droves droves of of swine i guess
1: i guess yeah
0: and so then they do the cattle so the cattle are counted and numbered and claimed and they are both same equal in size and number except there is one special bull of alleles. And he was the calf of one of Maeve's cows. And finbenach, which means the white horn, so this white cow was his name. And that's important. The color of the cow is important, and we'll see why in a little bit. Uh, But he... Oh, hold on. Yes.
1: Okay. According to this list of terms of venery I've pulled up just now.
0: Ooh, yes.
1: A group of swine, if they're boars, they're A sounder.
0: A sounder?
1: But they can also be, you can also have a herd of pigs, a parcel of pigs, a drift of pigs, a drove of pigs, so you were right there. Okay. A team of passel, a singular of boars.
0: Oh, oh my. And
1: if they're piglets, they can be a litter, a passel, or a pharaoh.
0: A pharaoh. A pharaoh of piglets. I feel like they missed out on the opportunity to call them a squeal. That would be good. A squeal of piglets. That's what I would go with. (laughs) (laughs) But regardless.
1: Man, I would hate to be the maid after all this is done.
0: Oh, can you imagine? Think of all the expense that is going into this quarrel. Yeah. Oh, I hope someone's profiting out of this. So we have this great big white horned bull called Finnebenach. And he, that is, the bull deemed it no honor to be in a woman's possession and had left and gone over to the kine of the king. And it was the same. I know. And it was the same to babe as if she owned not a penny's worth for as much as she had not a bull of his size amongst her cattle. So technically this was Maeve's bull, but the bull had a mind of its own and apparently decided the grass was literally greener on the other side. And went to go live with Allele's herd.
1: I'm not sure that cattle get to decide who they belong to.
0: This one did. Or we could say that this was Allele pulling a fast one on his wife. We don't really know, but this is what how the, how the tale uh, lays it out for us. So then it was that Macroth, the messenger, was summoned to Maeve, and Maeve strictly bade Macroth to learn where there might be a bull in any likeness in the provinces of Ireland. Verily, said Macroth, I know where that bull is that is best and better again in the province of Ulster, in the hundred of Cooling, in the house of Dara, son of Finacuch, even Don Cooling, the brown bull of Cooling, he is called. So we have this white bull and this brown bull, or also known as the red bull. And so now we have these two bulls of different colors. And those who are familiar with the Mabinogian might remember in that Welsh story that there is a white dragon and a red dragon that tussle it out to kind of determine which culture is going to win. So we're going to see that same motif here in this story. So is Connacht, the white Connacht men going to win or is it going to be the red or brown Ulstermen who are going to triumph overall?
1: I think you get a a, a white dragon and red dragon fighting in um, Geoffrey of Monmouth too.
0: Yeah, 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 that's right. So I don't,
1: that might have been borrowed straight from the Medvedev. I think
0: there. it is. I think it is. And I'm not sure if this is a Celtic tradition that was pulled into, because the the Irish and the Welsh are connected, so that might be the same sort of old ancient legend. But we did talk about how like the three most basic colours were black, red, and white, right? So again, we're seeing yeah. this motif all over the place. In any case, there is such a cow, says Macroth. And, and
1: I know his name and address.
0: <laughs> yes, it's a very well known cow. <laughs> Maeve says, Go thou to him, mickroth and ask for me a loan of the brown bull for a year. And at the year's end, he shall have the meat of the loan, to wit, 50 heifers and the cow back himself. And so she's basically saying, I'm going to borrow this cow for a year to show my husband up, and then I'll give you both the cow back, the bull back and 50 heifers as well. And the messengers go forth to the house of Dara, son of Finneka. And they talk about how many people there were and basically we went through here, through here, through here, through here. There's a lot of place naming going on in this story. McRoth says, I am here to beg for the loan of the brown bull to match the white horned one. And so we have this going back and forth and Dara was very excited about this because it's 50 extra cows he's like yeah awesome i get to loan off my bull for a little bit to yeah, sure. the queen of ireland and then i get 50 extra heifers it's a good deal it is a good deal
1: i'm not sure how pleased you would be to know that it's just so she can show that she has a bigger dick than the king
0: i know like but hopefully the messenger was a little bit more tactful and didn't say for what purpose the bull had to be, you know, brought over. She's
1: currently sitting in bed waiting for me to parade this bull past her. (laughs) Hurry up.
0: All right. And then a bunch of the messengers who went with Macroth end up having a fight over the reputation of the Ulstermen versus the Connachtmen. And eventually they say, if the bull is not given willingly, we will take it by force, which was not Maeve's order but you kind of get the sense that this is how she operates anyway. Wasn't
1: he happy to, to lend it out regardless? He, so why is there a
0: fight he now? He was at first because there was a tussle between who's better, the Ulster men or the Connacht men. So this all comes down to like, who's your daddy? And what tribe are you with?
1: This entire story is just the consequences of toxic masculinity.
0: On both so parties, far, may I say. Uh, For both Maeve and Alil. Like there's, there's a lot of toxic energy going on in both of these individuals. All right. So eventually they don't bring the bull back. So it gets settled, but they're not able to bring the bull back. And Maeve demands the reason and McRoth recounts how the dispute came up. And says, there is no need to polish knots over such affairs as that, McRoth, for it was known, if the brown bowl of cooling will not be given with their will, uh, it would have been taken in their despite, and taken he shall be. So basically, she says, all right, well, if they're not going to let me borrow the bowl, I'm going to go to war. I
1: mean, that that that's a monarch-like thing to do.
0: It is. Can we, like, do we expect this of her? I'm not entirely sure. It's a very, not to pigeonhole, but this is this is one of those acts where it's curious to me because it seems like a very male heroic character thing to do, but it's being ascribed to Maeve, whereas Aaliyah is much more like, nah, I'm I'm good over here. Bye. But again, there's a lot of, we, I mean, we've seen it in, in some of the stories that we've talked about already, how the traditional quote-unquote male and female roles are kind of inverse, where the men are like, no, I'm not going to do a thing, and the women are like, do the thing, you idiot. So Mm -hmm. again, those agencies are kind of being thrown up and down. So it's interesting to see her going to war for a cow so she can show her husband up.
1: Yeah, like I would have expected her her reaction to be more like, why did you get in a dumb fight with them? You're fired.
0: But she backs them up. So here we are. So I'm going to switch over to the Faraday version now, so hopefully the English is going to be a little less the and thou and there too, and be a little bit more straightforward.
1: I had noticed it was very <laughs> deliberately archaic. It is
0: very deliberately archaic. It's an older edition. And it's interesting to note that the reason I do that is because the Faraday version doesn't begin until what the Dunn version calls chapter three. And that's probably a difference between where the book of Dunn Cow begins and where the manuscript for the book of Leinster begins. So that's probably the difference there.
1: Hold on. Is the translator for the book of Dunn Cow named Dunn?
0: Yes, 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 yes. John Dunn as in uh, D-U- As in the poet. Well, close. Yeah, except it's D-U-N-N. Okay. Yes.
1: So, wow.
0: But he's a professor at Washington. Or was?
1: Which Washington?
0: The Catholic University of Washington. Oh, I was wrong. Joseph Dunn, not John.
1: See, I ask this because I went to undergrad at a Washington college, and I, so I know there are like a dozen of There's them.
0: There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Uh, but yeah, so it's the, this version is the Joseph Dunn translation, who is the professor at the Catholic University of Washington, at least when he translated it.
1: Johnny-come-latelys. For the record, we were the original Washington <laughs> College.
0: <laughs> Which one were you? Uh,
1: the one in Maryland. Oh. Named after George Washington with his permission.
0: Oh, I did not know that. That's cool. Ooh. Yeah,
1: all the others just picked, they it. Just but picked No, it. we got. We have a letter from
0: it. Oh, please tell me that is like encased somewhere for everyone could see it.
1: I don't think it is, but his signature from the letter was like reproduced in gold over the doors of one of the, I think it was one of the dining
0: halls. That's amazing, as it should be. Okay, that's so cool. Okay, so jumping into what the Dunn version calls chapter three and what the Faraday version calls chapter one. A great hosting was brought together by the Connachtmen, that is, by Ailill and Maeve. They sent to three other provinces, and messengers were sent by Ailill to the seven sons of Magach and to Cormac and Conchobar with his 300 men, and they all come to a place called Krukenai. So that's where they were when all of this went down in the first place. And we kind of get into what the troops look like. The troop for Cormac... They have many colored cloaks. The second troop wore dark gray cloaks and red ornamentation. So we get get kind of this poetic view of what they all look like and what tribes they're a part of. And then they have the third troop, which has purple cloaks with hooded tunics with red ornamentation. And Maeve says, all right, all right, these these are Cormac's men. I recognize you. And the four provinces of Ireland were assembled.
1: Does she recognize them by their uniforms?
0: I think so. Because what it actually says is when she sees the first and second troop, she says, this is not Cormac yet. And then when she sees the third troop, she says, This is Cormac now. So apparently she recognized his arrival with this third troop with purple cloaks.
1: I'm just imagining her going like, oh yes, these are definitely the Chicago (laughs) Cubs. I recognize their
0: colors. (laughs) It's like no, no, no. Like you just see a bunch of people in a field, she's like, Where'd I park my car?
1: No, those guys over there are the Red Sox. You can tell by their Red socks. Yeah, Sox. yeah.
0: It's like, oh, I'm at the Ren Fair and I'm I'm cheering for the, the blue knight and I, I'm trying to find where he is. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the four provinces of Ireland were assembled until they were all in Krukenai. And the poets and the druids did not let them go forward into Ulster till the end of a fortnight because they were waiting for a good omen. And Maeve is not very happy about this. And she says to her charioteer... I guess because she trusts her charioteer, she gossips to her charioteer. Either way, she says everyone who leaves here today from his love or his friends is going to curse me because I'm the one who started this entire thing. Like I've gathered all the people here, which is a valid complaint. At least she's she's acknowledging her role in this. Yeah. yeah. And the tear says, well, just wait. I'll turn the chariot with the sun and there will come the power of a good omen that we may all come back again. So we're gonna have a good omen and we'll survive, that'll be fine. So this is a very early example of magic that we see. It's just omens, it's just a sort of divination. And this is, I think, the most subtle version of magic that we see in this, since we haven't seen any other magic yet. But even page 11, they're already going on about finding a good omen. And the druids are there and they're like, we're not going to go. We're not going to go. But the charioteer is saying, I'll find a good omen. So it's interesting to me that the druids are waiting for a good omen and they're waiting for a fortnight. And the poets also are because the poets generally, the Philae are, they also have a magical role. Poetry has a very magical role in Irish legends and lore. So the poets and the druids have not found a good omen for two weeks, but apparently this charioteer can.
1: It sounds like he's trying to manufacture one.
0: I think so, given that spoiler warning, this doesn't really end well for Maeve. So he turns the chariot and sets forth. So I don't know what it means to turn the chariot with the sun, whether they're like waiting until high noon or waiting for a shadow to fall in a certain way or whether they're just gonna like follow it like sunflowers follow the sun, I don't know. But he turns the chariot and they set forth, so they go out, then all of a sudden, they see a full-grown maiden before them. And she has yellow hair and a cloak of many colors and a golden pin in her cloak and a hooded tunic with red embroidery. She wears two shoes. I hope she's wearing two shoes with buckles of gold.
1: On two different
0: feet. (laughs) I guess. And her face was narrow and uh, narrow below and broad above. So she's got like a wide forehead and a narrow... Narrow chin and very black were her two eyebrows. Her black, delicate eyelashes cast a shadow okay, into the middle of her This is trending away
1: from woman and towards
0: wasp. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Cause she's blonde, but she has black eyebrows. So I don't. I don't. Black and yellow. Head. Yeah. So she's a. Well, we would call her a waspish-looking figure. <laughs> uh, and you would think it was. And this is very interesting. You would think it was with or pertaining with her lips. Uh, which they were adorned and the exact meaning of that Irish word is not known but it's always used in the connection of like adorning your lips so it's some sort of lipstick but it doesn't really say what it's made of or what color it is so Mm -hmm. traditionally I guess I would think like red or some sort of blush but we don't know it could be blue for all we know you would think that it was a shower of pearls that was in her mouth that is her teeth she had three tresses
1: they're Round and they
0: fall. <laughs> I think, I think it means they're shiny and white, which would be more impressive for the Middle Ages, I guess. That's true. Given that, although
1: I wouldn't want my teeth described as a shower of anything, so it sounds like they're falling out.
0: Ooh, that's true. You're right. Ooh. She had three tresses, two tresses round her head above, and a tress behind, so that it struck her two thighs behind her. So basically from what i understand about this she's got like princess leia buns or something on the side and then she's got a big plate down the back of her head that goes all the way to her thighs so that's a lot of hair
1: that's pretty impressive yeah
0: it, it really is a shuttle of white metal with an inlay of gold was in her hand each of her two eyes had three pupils the maiden was armed and there were two black horses on her chariot
1: i'm sorry she has three pupils she
0: has three pupils in her eyes all right So she's got like, she's got (laughs) like six, she's got six pupils total. So you're not wrong with this whole insect look. It's also, was she like just weaving? Like why is she carrying a shuttle around? The literal translation is a beam used for making fringe. So when you think of a shuttle, you think of like loom weaving, right? Mm -hmm. So you might think of, if you, if you think of the shuttle and the loom, and you think three pupils, We're getting sort of prophetess vibes right
1: yeah yeah like the like the norns or the fates or something they come in threes they weave things
0: exactly so that is the motif that is being used here because maeve obviously stops because there's a crazy waspy prophetess lady standing before her and says what is your name and the maiden says fedelm the prophetess of connacht and that is to say, if it's the same Fedelm as the Fedelm who is Conchiver Macnessa's daughter, she will have a brief tryst with Cucullin, But I don't know if this is the same woman. So you can't—you might be able to squish that in there. That it would make sense that Cucullin, a magical hero, gets with this six-pupiled prophetess
1: but wait so she's human i just assumed she was some kind of fairy
0: no she is a prophetess she is not a fairy she is a human interlocutor for the other world all right yeah but she does just pop up out of nowhere so you're not wrong in thinking that she's some sort of fairy and she does come from another world because when Maeve asks her whence do you come she says from Scotland after learning the gift of prophecy.
1: I was really expecting after that other world thing for you to say something like, Boston.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be more interesting, wouldn't it? But I don't know, I guess maybe for for the medieval Irish, Scotland is just as far away. So apparently you learn prophecy in Scotland, according to the toy. Good to know. And so Maeve says, have you inspiration, which illuminates, So, like, do you have a prophecy for me? The maiden looks over, all of the host of Maeve's army, and Maeve says, Prophetess, how do you see the host? Fedel answers, This is the actual translation. I see very red. I see red. That is the precise translation that we are given here. And I checked the other translation as well, and that one says, I see very much red. Very red. So, What
1: color are their uniforms?
0: Some of them are, are red, the red socks? some of them are purple. So like, I don't know. I think this is, um, as we shall see, I think this is referring to blood. Like what? they're all going to die. And that, that would make sense. But Maeve is a little thick headed because she says, that's not true for Conquivir is in his sickness at Emain, and the Ulstermen with him and all the best of their warriors. And my messengers have come and brought me tidings thence.
1: So she asks for a prophecy and the prophetess says, They're all going to die, and Maeve says, No, you're wrong.
0: Yes, and so when she says no, she then asks again, How do you see my host? Because she's not going to take this as an answer. Which, I personally, street smarts here, I wouldn't be questioning the six-pupiled prophetess.
1: Yeah, just kind of do what she says.
0: Yeah, like if this is a bad idea, this is a bad idea. You have a chance to turn around and go home. Like, it's okay. We understand Maeve. You got big dick energy. It's okay. But she says, How do you see the host? And Fedelm says, I see red. And again, Maeve says, that's not true. Uh Uh-uh, no way. And so she asks a third time and the Irish are very interested in ideas of threes. So the fact that she says, I see red, very red, three times and Maeve says, it matters not. There are mutual angers and quarrels and wounds, very red in every host and in every assembly and in every army, look again and tell me the truth. What do you see? So it's not even enough that she, she asks three times. And so to basically push the message home for anyone who's either listening or reading this story, the text breaks out into a different kind of poetry. There are sections where we lose pieces of the text. But so Fedel is fed up with this. And so she goes into it and she says, I see a fair man who will make play with a number of wounds on his girdle. A hero's flame is over his head, a forehead meeting place of victory. There are seven gems of a hero of valor in the middle of his two irises. There is something on his cloak. We've lost that word. He wears a red clasped tunic. And so we have this big, very long poem about Cucullan and I see a great man on the plain. He gives battle to the hosts. Four little swords of feats, great feats, there are in each of his two hands. Two gebolga, he carries them, besides an ivory hilted sword and spear. And this is an interesting word, the gay bolga It's a very special kind of spear, which apparently only Cucullin can wield. So that word is generally left untranslated.
1: So is this like, All right, so one of the things that I've learned from listening to Saga Thing a lot is that pole arms tended to be pretty unique from person to person because there wasn't, like, a mass production thing, Mm -hmm. which is why you always get these, uh, like, whatever Gunnar is wielding, usually translated as halberd, even though it's not. Who knows what it actually
0: looks like? Yeah, okay. That would make sense because apparently these are probably also vaguely magical weapons, depending on... The origin myth of where he gets them, they could be from his dad, like Lug, who's like, here are some magical weapons. that' I give you, the gay Bulga. Uh, but that that makes a lot of sense from a historical perspective as well.
1: I think where the uh, the saga thing guys settled is like, the readers at the time would know like, oh, if you describe it in this way, it means it has the, these features. But oh. we don't have that anymore. Yeah, we've lost so that. We've just, we've just got all these like various words that all kind of mean... It's a long stick with a pointy bit at the
0: end—a <laughs> halberd but of like, a sort,
1: slightly different.
0: That's really interesting, huh?
1: Also, how is he carrying all these weapons? How many hands does this man have?
0: That's an interesting point. As a matter of fact, he oh, has—he okay. <laughs> has two. But the the poem also says that he has a. Let's see if I can get this right. Restartha, the Restartha, which means he's described as the distorted one. So this is another name for Cucullin and that is because he went through this transformation, which a lot of times is translated as the torque because he sort of twists up into this weird monster. So it's this idea that he's given supernatural powers of strength and the ability to slaughter hundreds of men at any given time. But in doing so, he literally turns into a monster to do so.
1: It is wild.
0: So it's amazing. And there is an extraordinarily, wonderfully graphic depiction of what that torque looks like that I'm excited to get to because it's just, it's so bizarre and so detailed that in Beowulf, you don't get a depiction of what Grendel looks like at all. Like he's some sort of man. He's some sort of monster. We don't really know. And that's the terror that comes with Grendel. But with Cucullin, it's horrifying because you do get to see it and you do get to picture it. And I, I love the difference between the Old English sort of terror and the, the Irish, Old Irish horror. In those two depictions.
1: Also, just for any other China Mieville fans out there, I'm pretty sure that's where his use of the word torque comes from.
0: Oh, that makes sense.
1: Because in, in Perdido Street Station, there's a, a mention of like some region nearby that is twisted and mutated and basically sounds like some kind of weird science fiction irradiation radiation thing but he just refers to it as the Torque. I bet that's where he got it.
0: I bet. Oh, that's interesting. I love seeing that carried through. One of the things that I would love is to have the toy turn into a video game. I think it would be an amazing RPG. Just absolutely great. I can see that. Yeah. Finally, the last sort of section of the poem, the kind of poem that Fedelm says, is he will strike on whole hosts. He will make dense slaughters of you. Ye will leave with him many thousands of heads. The prophetess Fedelm conceals not. So she's, she's had it with the queen. She's done.
1: I'm sorry, did, she, did you say that he was going to carry away thousands of heads?
0: He will leave with him many thousands of heads. Like he's going to be decapitating very, left and right.
1: It's a very ambiguous construction there because mm-hmm. does that mean he's leaving them behind or he's leaving with the heads?
0: I don't know. Terrifying either way because you either get a field of heads or you just get like one giant long chain of hair like yeah. tied together, which is like a chain of heads.
1: I'm just remembering the last story you told uh, from Ireland where someone pulled a head out of their wallet.
0: Oh, yes! That's right! That is Mactotho as well. Yeah, that's Mactotho's pig. Oh my gosh. Yeah, heads have a, like, especially decapitated heads have a very significant place in Irish lore, because the head is what housed the soul. So if you cut somebody's head off, you kind of, you're cutting off their way of getting into heaven in a sense, or at least going on to the other world. So Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's that's fascinating and so the monday after semain which is halloween they set forth and this is the way they took and there's this wonderful list of place names that i'll, I'll just list a couple of them because they're interesting names there's trauma drum athgabla ard Togmail, mithetogmail veilskena anyway there's a lot of them and getting into place names and Dinshanakas or how places are named in Ireland is super important. And that's where a lot of this story gets its meaning is we have little mini episodes in each major section and chapter of the story where we have the Connachtmen going through Ireland and you, they'll stop at a place and they'll do something there. And then you'll have this little sentence. It's like, and that's how this place got its name and it's called blah, 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 blah. And, you see, the, like, you see this in Genesis, you see this in the Bible, where it's like, Noah was here, and he built a pyre, and then he ate meat. And that's why we call this the pyre of meat. And, da, da, da. and so you have little sections like that in a lot of oral traditions, because it's a way of passing on history.
1: It's in the sagas.
0: Ta-da! Yes. So, all of this, so far, is the prologue. Of course it is. Yes, all we've covered so far is the prologue. And the one thing that we need to talk about that's in the Rim scala but is not in the actual text until a little bit later, but I want to emphasize this now because we did see it in just a second, because when Maeve is denying what's going on, she says, For Concovere is in his sickness at Imain, and the Ulstermen with him, with all the best of their warriors. That's really important because when Concovere is, quote, in his sickness, it is a sickness that occurs on all of the Ulstermen, and it's basically PMS. They have, basically, they have period cramps or labor pains.
1: Okay, I was really expecting you would go for lycanthropy, so I want a <laughs> fuller explanation of what <laughs> you're talking about.
0: So, whatever the sickness is, they were cursed with it by a woman, I think, and all of the Ulstermen either for it it depends on what the story is and i'll I'll double check on it either for an extended period of time like a month or two they end up doubled over with labor pains or for like once a month they get period pains
1: oh my god it is pms
0: it is pms
1: the ulstermen have been cursed with pms yes amazing
0: and it's so bad that they cannot fight like that's why. That's I why. I
1: mean, <laughs> I hear it's pretty bad.
0: <laughs> I mean, I can vouch not for this. I've
1: experienced it myself.
0: It's it's to the point where that is the entire reason why Cook Holland has to go up and be this hero alone is because he is one of the only individuals who does not suffer from this pain. So everybody else is incapacitated, and Cook I feel Hullin like has you know him.
1: how hard how hard does it make it defense
0: for me. It's, it's really interesting because I don't get very bad cramps. I mostly get mood swings or I'll get like really bad cravings. But generally speaking, women's testosterone peaks when they PMS. So my weightlifting is actually great. Oh. Yeah. So fencing is great and weightlifting is great. But I know other people who have really bad um, cramps and they're like, nope, I'm going to curl up in bed and not do anything. So it varies with the woman, essentially.
1: <laughs> Wait. Did Kukulin escape the curse or was he just lucky enough to get the non-painful cramp version?
0: I don't know. I mean, he does have his whole little torque thing. So, you know, maybe that happens to some people during their PMS. I don't know. If
1: you turn into some sort of horrific mutant monster once a month, let us know.
0: <laughs> I would be I would be very interested in finding that out. Okay, so let's see. Here ends the title, and the story begins as follows. So all of that was just the prologue. We've just gone through the opening credits.
1: Did you say here ends the title? Yes. I feel like the scribe and I have very different ideas of what a title is.
0: (laughs) I would agree with you, but, you know, say la vie. So this is the story in order. That is literally how this text begins. This is the story in order. When they had come on their first journey from Kurokan to... As far as cool Sabrina, Maeve told her charioteer to get ready, her other nine chariots, that she might take a circuit in the camp to see who disliked and who liked the expedition. So, your girl is just, she's like, alright, I'm gonna see who doesn't like this. Who's got a bad attitude about this expedition? We're gonna rat them out right now.
1: I mean... I'm pretty sure that I've seen a lot of that in both Celtic and Scandinavian uh, stories, that there's a lot of discussion and opinion polling whenever they're about (laughs) to do something.
0: I mean, fair enough. You want to have people who have your back for these sort of things.
1: You know, like how the Eddas are full of, and then the gods had a meeting yes very very true
0: now his tent was pitched for allele and the furniture was arranged both beds and the coverings fergus mccroy in his tent was next to allele and fergus is one of these major political figures who kind of advises quote-unquote allele and then cormac is also there connell is by him Fiaka mek fear that is a hard irish word and that is the son of concovere's daughter and Maeve is on Aleel's other side. Finnevar, daughter of Aleel, and Maeve is also there. So this sort of the royal procession, if you will. These are our major players on the side of the Connachtmen. Maeve came, and after looking at the host, and said it was folly for the rest to go on hosting if the cantred of the Lestermen went. And the cantred refers to, technically it refers to a plot of land, but in the context here, it's referring to basically the group of people, the group of soldiers who've come from Leinster. And Aleel's like, why are you blaming them? Like, really? Why are we doing this now? And she says, well, we do not blame them. Splendid are the warriors. When the rest were making their hunts, they had finished thatching their huts and cooking their food. When the rest were at dinner, they had finished dinner and the harpers were playing to them. It is folly for them to go, said Maeve. It is to their credit, the victory of the host will be. So, Why is
1: thatching huts part of what soldiers are expected to do?
0: I don't know. I feel like this has to do with the, um, what do they call The booths. Like in the Iceland sagas, yeah. they go to the thing and they make booths and they have little huts to stay in. So I guess they're making their own little thatched huts yeah, every night.
1: I-, I was thinking Roman military camps, but like thatching is pretty in labor intensive yeah or time intensive yeah so you'd think they'd have some quicker thing like the booze which are basically just a piece of sailcloth stretched over like a little wall
0: i would tack that up to the fault of the translator eh. that's that's how i would go with it but basically she says i don't like the lunstermen because they're on top of it and they make the rest of everybody else look bad and aleel says well they're, babe they're fighting for us and she says well they're not gonna come with us because she's just, like, she's just got a bad attitude. <laughs> Aleel's like, okay, fine. So let them stay. And she says, no, they're not going to stay. Because if they stay, they're going to come on to us after we've gone. And they're going to take our land. So they're going to conquer us. So she's not happy. And Aleel's like, okay, well, if they can't stay and they can't go, what do you want? What Oh my god, you she's going to
1: kill them all, isn't she? <laughs> just for being, like, efficient and making the rest of her army look bad.
0: That's exactly what she says. He's like, what do you want? And she's like, I want to kill them. I want to kill all of them.
1: The nail that sticks up must be hammered down.
0: And Alil just looks at her and says, we're not going to hide that this is a woman's plan. What you say is not good.
1: It is always a shame that the listeners cannot see the faces (laughs) you make.
0: (laughs) So that's what Maeve wants to do. And Alil obviously, like, he's just, he's not having it. He's like, all right, fine, but this is on you. And Fergus now butts in. And, which I think is a dangerous thing with this couple. Like you do not yeah, want to stick your get head involved. in. Mm-mm.
1: Next thing you know, you're parading cows.
0: Exactly, and now you're going to war.
1: And now you're killing your own <laughs> troops for being too good at their job.
0: Like, <sighs> just, just
1: stay away. This is a toxic environment. Yeah,
0: very bad environment. Fergus says, "With this folk, it shall not happen thus, for it is a folk bound by ties to us Ulstermen, unless we're all killed." So he's basically saying, if you want to kill them, you have to kill us all. And Maeve says, well, even that we could do, for I'm here with my retinue. And then she lists how many soldiers she has. And again, Fergus is like, no, let's, please not do this.
1: Maeve does not understand the concept of de-escalation.
0: <laughs> no. here she really doesn't and she says so fergus says okay fine i will give battle to you in the middle of the host in which we are with seven cantreds and my cantred and that cantred so basically he's listing his own men
1: what is a cantred
0: so a cantred is I looked this up because I was confused about what this is because I hadn't heard it before. It's an old Irish term for a plot of land, like a territory. But in this context, it's referring to basically how many men are in a particular group, like a particular oh, squadron. So it's like
1: the, the Anglo-Saxon hundreds?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Except hundred is also used in this text as well. So it's a different And You were size. describing
1: the bull's address. Mhm.
0: So it's a different size of men which i figure is probably pretty big but we don't have an actual number for oh. how big it is fergus finally comes to the conclusion that all right we can sort this out we'll spread the leinster men through the entire host maeve says all right fine but i don't care provided that they're not all in one group that's fine so they manage to settle her down and not kill an entire squadron of people and not commit genocide so good things there for the Lundstermen. They managed to survive. Even
1: gotten to the enemy yet.
0: Oh, no, no, no. Most of the saga is them getting to the enemy. That is most of the story. <laughs> You'd think
1: that would be the easy part.
0: You would think. You would really think. So eventually you have Dubsak, who sings a particular song, and he, I believe, is one of the druids. And this song is, again, in poetry, it's in that same sort of mythic poetry, and he is recounting another past battle in this section he sings this will be a battle in its time for Maeve with a third of the host there will be flesh of men therefrom if the ristartha comes to you so again we have another sort of prophecy about cacullen and the distorted one coming onto Maeve's army and basically destroying a third of her army and then the Nemain attacked them.
1: Also, for, for the listeners, when she says distorted one, she does pantomime it. I know you can't see <laughs> I it. I do.
0: Like, stick one shoulder up. It's Yeah, I'm an active storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> so then the Nemain attacked them. Who the Nemain are, I have no idea. They just crop up as they're traveling.
1: They're a random encounter?
0: Yeah, I guess, you know? You failed your role on the night watch. And it says, That was not the quietest nights for them. No kidding. Because of the uproar of the churl, that is to say, the druid poet, through their sleep. So apparently he's like prophesying or at least sitting on his lute singing over like through the night.
1: While they're trying to sleep?
0: I guess that's what the text indicates. Oh, so why is he a churl? i don't know i guess he's of common like of common stock the host started up at once and a great number of the hosts were in confusion until maeve came to reprove them so this guy is just making trouble then they went and spent the night at Gr- Grenard Tethfa Tuaskrit. i it's an interesting place name do not know what it means after the host had been led astray over bogs and over streams so they're somewhere in the irish wilderness because this guy was up on his loot apparently and then the main attacked them so random encounter did not go well a warning was sent from Fergus to the Ulstermen here for friendship and okay so that's important because Fergus is going behind Aleel and Maeve's back to talk to the Ulstermen so Fergus is currently aligned with the Connacht men and he's sending a note to the Ulstermen now we have this beautiful line now they were in the weakness Except for Kukulin and his father swallowed him. And the weakness, yep, refers to the
1: curse. The curse. They're having their cramps. They're
0: having their cramps. And Kukulin and his father went after coming up to the warning of Fergus until they yeah, were in. They haven't even
1: discovered chocolate yet.
0: I know. It's so, like, what, what are you going to do? Like, mead and honey? I don't know. That's what I would crave.
1: Yeah. Someone test that out and report
0: back. Oh, yeah. Cucullin says to his father, I think of the host tonight. Go from us with a warning to the Ulstermen. I'm forced to go into a tryst with Feldim from my own pledge that I went out to her. So this is the the same Fedelm, daughter of Conquivir.
1: And like he's got some kind of obligation for a booty call? Is that what he just said?
0: That is exactly what he just said. <laughs> Right. he's like hey dad can you go check on the encroaching army because i have to get with this chick because i promised her yeah all right it's essentially what he's saying here
1: i mean look anyone who has that many pupils i wouldn't want to turn her down either yeah that's true
0: that's very true and then we have an interesting instance of magic here so he makes a what the text calls a wife which is a twig that is twisted into the form of two rings, which is enjoined by one straight piece, which is used basically to hobble horses and cattle. So he's making like a pit trap, essentially, in the road.
1: I thought this was for the prophetess, and I was like, oh, you're making handcuffs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. There's got to be a saga like with that in there. There's got to be. Anyway, so he makes this, this little trap, and before he goes, he wrote in augum on it and threw it on it he throws it on top of a pillar so everybody can see it so this is more of a warning than an actual trap especially because he's writing in augum, which is Mm -hmm. sort of a at this point this text is supposedly set at the early christian period so Ogham was mostly relegated to stone engravings and pretty much magical uses at this point. So it's interesting that he uses Ogham because that involves a certain level of magic and also a certain level of education and understanding. So already we understand that not only is Cucullin a distorted one who has supernatural powers of strength, but he also is supernaturally gifted and educated. So he's... What else would he write in? runes or, or, like, Roman letters. Oh, right. All right. But he's using Ogham.
1: Okay, so that's already, like, an old-fashioned thing at this Yes, point. yes,
0: exactly. So, the leadership of the way before the army was given to Fergus. So, basically, neither Maeve nor O'Leal want to take point on this. And so Fergus stands up and he's like, all right, I'll do it. And he goes far astray to, to the south till the Ulster should have completed the collection of an army. So he's basically curving around the long way so that he can try and get more alliances and aleel and maeve perceive this and maeve says well fergus this is strange what kind of way are we going straying south or north we go we go over every other folk into every other territory a with his hosting fears that you will betray them. You've not given your mind hitherto to the leading of the way. If it is in friendship that you do it, do not lead the horses. Peradventure may another may be found to lead the way. So she's basically threatening him with, like, if you don't get us there, I'm kicking you out of the army. We're gonna find someone else. And again, notice this is in this is in those poetic couplings. So. Mm. It's the scribe, or at least whoever originally wrote this down, bringing attention to the piece. This is an important piece of dialogue. And so Fergus also answers in verse, Oh, Maeve, what troubles you? "'This is not like treachery. "'It belongs to the Ulstermen, O woman, "'this land across which I am leading you. "'It is not for the disadvantage of the host "'that I go on, each wandering in its turn. "'It is to avoid the great man who protects Magmurtha. "'Not that my mind is not distressed.' Double negative. Not that my mind is not distressed on account of the straying on which I go, but if perchance I may avoid even afterwards, Kukulan mach him. So he's saying, first off, you already own all this land. And second off, I'm trying to avoid Kukulan, because I don't want to run into him.
1: I mean, he's busy.
0: He's busy. Yeah, he's... He's, he's tristing. <laughs> and then we have another section where we kind of like, whoop, skip back over to the... Ulsterman, and they are gathering people together. Kakulan's sitting out, there's music, it's great. And Fergus McRoy finds that piece of tree, tree branch, and reads the augum on it. And Maeve sees it and says, why are you waiting here? What's going on? And Fergus says, yeah, we're waiting because there's Ogham on that over there. And it says, let no one go past till a man is found to throw a like-wise or like or like-branch with his one hand and let it be of one twig from which it is made, and I accept my friend Fergus. So Fergus can't do this, but anybody else can. And Fergus says, Cuckullin has thrown it, and those over there are his horses. So this is a challenge, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's written in augum is something like a geish, so it's something like a curse. So you'd better not go past this without accepting the challenge or else something's going to go very, very badly. And as he put it in the hands of the Druids, Fergus sang a song and he, again, we have this little poetic verse where he goes through it. And afterwards, Fergus says, if you outrage this wife, or if you go past it, though he be in the custody of a man or in a house under a lock, he who wrote the Agam will reach him and will slay a goodly slaughter of you before morning unless one of you throw a like-wise. So you better listen, because Kukul is going to come after you. So instead of doing this, Aleel says, okay, we'll go by the neck of the great wood yonder, south of us, and we will not go over it at all. So the troops hewed down the wood before the chariots, and the name of that place is Schlechte. So we have this place name, and we have the story behind it. So instead of trying to find someone to create this little trap and throw a stick they just literally deforest an entire section of irish woodland to get around it
1: that seems excessive
0: extraordinarily excessive but that is how terrified they are of cacullin they do not want to mess with him and that's how powerful and i think this is more important how powerful a single geish is you do not mess with magic Maeve and fed on the prophecies had a conversation there Then it is after the answer she gave to Maeve that the wood was cut down. So look for me, Maeve says, how the hosting will be. And Fedelm says, I cannot cast my eye over them in the wood. And then Maeve makes a decision. Well, we're just going to cut the whole thing down and go around it.
1: Wait, wait, isn't Fedelm supposed to be uh, with Kukulun right now?
0: Theoretically, yes. But given that Kukulun's horses are over off on the side, like Mm Kukulun's waiting. (laughs) <laughs> so either okay. either this is a different Fedelm. I'm not sure how common that name is or this is the exact same lady and Kakoma's just like alright waiting just chilling yep I've issued a challenge you know gonna get with this prophetess lady we're gonna be sorted so he's having a fine time so far
1: and, and way, I'm just going, oh yeah, I can't see your troops in the in the woods right now. I've got places to be.
0: Yes, exactly. And that's interesting because when they're trying to get through this forest, they end up having a great snowstorm which falls on them. And the rising was early the next morning. It was not the most peaceful night with the snow, blah, blah, blah. I feel like that's a very, it's a refrain that we're getting, but it's an understatement. Like, it was not the most peaceful night. It's like, you don't say. You're getting snowed on. And... Then there's this final little line that says it was not early when cucullin came from his tryst he waited to wash and bathe so he had a lion with with Elm here and then he came on the track of the host and says would that we have not gone there said cucullin nor betrayed the ulstermen uh, we have let the host go to them unawares make us an estimation of the host said cucullin to log which is probably his dad, Lug, the god. And Lug says, yeah, I can't do this right now. Like, I'm confused, I can't manage this. And they go on a little bit. Yeah, we will stop there because then we're starting to get into Kekulon's side. So let's close this with the fact that Kekulon had a lion and we'll pick it up next time with more about Kekulon and his boyhood deeds. Yes, so that is the first part of the Toyn. So we've we've got our kind of understanding of the Connacht side and Aleel and Maeve in that whole section. So now we're going to get into who Cacullin is and what the Ulstermen are actually doing next time. All right. Yeah. So there you go.
1: <laughs> this is an unusual story you have here.
0: I love the Toyn. Especially because it is so wonderfully Irish, and it's so weird.
1: It is definitely weird.
0: It is a weird story. So what do we have in terms of what we go through? What say you? Best dialogue?
1: I think I've got to go with the exchange between Fev and Maeve.
0: <laughs> Which one? The first one?
1: Yeah, where she keeps going, like, no, they're all going to die. And, she's like, and Maeve's like, no, you are wrong. No, they're not.
0: Like, I'm, I'm the queen in this situation.
1: Yeah, I tell you what to say, and I say you're wrong. And I say just you're say they're wrong. Not, they're not allowed.
0: I think it's just impressive that she's able to stand up to, like, a 6 peopled woman who can see the future. And, like, she's got the balls to say, you're wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I feel like if I ran into the uh, someone who looked like that, I'd be like, whatever you say, you... Yeah. I got some more stuff going on. Tonight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite piece of dialogue is just Alil being so exasperated with everything that's going on. He's just like, what do you want? What do you want? He's this tired husband who's put up with his wife's antics for so long and he's like, okay, you don't want them to stay. you don't want them to go. What do you want? And he, like I feel like at this point he's exasperated. he's saying it sarcastically and she's and sh- her answer is just brilliant she's like, I want to kill them. I'm going to kill them all. Like, what do you do at that point if if that is your spouse?
1: Honestly, I feel like at this point, what he should do is say, you're right, honey, you're richer.
0: <laughs> you're right, honey, you're richer. Yeah. Just, can we call this off? Can man? we call the whole thing off? Like, you've got a point, babe, I understand. But no, she wants that cow. She wants that cow. Oh, man. Okay. Oh.
1: Uh, creature, either unless you count Cullen
0: or the boars. You could count the or not the boars, the bulls.
1: I'm pretty sure bulls are real.
0: That's true, but this is a this is a bull with the determination to not be among a woman's herd.
1: Sexist bull. A,
0: se- a sexist bull. <laughs> something something. It makes sense that he's a white bull? Question mark.
1: <laughs> All right, yeah. Well, we can put that in the uh, the monster manual. Yeah, bull of the patriarchy.
0: Bull of the patriarchy. The white bull.
1: <laughs>
0: what can we use in a D anD D game?
1: Fedhelm.
0: <laughs> Fedhelm for sure, one hundred percent. Like if you need a prophetess figure here, you've got a beautiful, may I say, historically accurate depiction of what a prophetess should look like. <laughs>
1: i have questions about historical accuracy of anyone with six pupils
0: yeah oh man well at least if not historically accurate of course then it's you can cite this and say that you got it from an ancient irish legend
1: I feel like you can just lift that description whole cloth and go like this is this is a, a an NPC in my campaign
0: now. 100%. She's got blonde hair, she's got black eyebrows and black eyelashes, she's got a big forehead, narrow chin, she's got six pupils. That's just weird, man. She's all decked out in in what was it? It was it was red. I still think
1: she sounds insectoid with that triangular head. She
0: really does. That's that's freaky. I had never thought of that before, but you're totally right. So definitely her in a D&D game. Let's
1: see. Um...
0: I think you can use the entire premise for an adventure. Yeah. It would make a great fetch quest that gets out of hand. You have a king and a queen, and they're trying to measure up each other's wealth, and the queen is not taking it anymore. And, like, just just use Maeve just use the character of Maeve cuz she's so yeah. annoying but and she won't take any crap from anybody and she's got such every
1: a... every step it escalates just, just a little you bit you've
0: got to have it like continue escalating and everyone around her is just like no why is she in power but she's the daughter of the high king we can't say no so like definitely use that like a, the quest for the quest for the bowl or the the quest for the chicken or something like just some ridiculous argument i think you can use
1: there are a couple other things you could use the curse
0: you can definitely use the curse
1: although i think that that might um derail the session for a bit while everyone (laughs) works through that
0: one yeah tries to figure out what that means oh no you can use kakulan as well but we'll get to him later we'll get to the the torque idea later so we'll save that one
1: i think we're getting yeah um what was the other thing oh manufacturing omens
0: Ooh, that is a good one.
1: That it occurred to me when you mentioned chickens because that's from uh Rome they would use uh, whether the chickens would eat as an omen for like how well a battle would go.
0: Mm, and there's one
1: story where I forget who it is. It might. It, I, I don't think it's Caesar, but it's one of those big names. Future Mac here. It was Publius Claudius Pulcher, who had command of the Roman fleet during the First Punic War. Who was so annoyed by the chickens not eating and therefore not giving him a good open... Uh, before a big naval battle that he just threw them overboard.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I make my own fate.
1: I think the line was, if they're not hungry, maybe they're thirsty.
0: (gasps) That is such a line. Oh my gosh. I feel like, okay, side note, I feel like you can use that as well in a D&D campaign. someone is, like, some NPC has captured some of the players and there's another NPC who's also captured and it's just, like, he's not going to tell him anything and he's okay with, like, starving himself. Like, well, if you don't tell us information, we won't give you food. And he's like, well, if you're not hungry, maybe you're thirsty and just get the NPC overboard. That would be great. That's a fantastic line. Oh my gosh. Oh, I was thinking of something else. Oh, you can use the Agam as well, and the the challenge. Oh yeah, as
1: that's all, That is almost straight out of the, a game.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh well, t- to pass through this door, you have to figure this out and have a challenger. I think that book covers it. How many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over? In Echoes states and, and modern, modern and culture, accents. do we have anything I that we can think of here?
1: I did already mention Mieville.
0: Yes, that's true. You did. Yes, Prudhoe Street Station.
1: And also, the reason I remember Maeve's name is because in that really, I'm going to go with aggressively mediocre series of urban fantasy by Jim Butcher. The queen of the Winter Court of <laughs> Fairies named Maeve.
0: That's true. There's a lot of Irish Irish queens called Maeve as well. And whether this refers to the same figure or multiple queens, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, that's a, good, that's a good one.
1: For those of you who are confused, I'm referring to the Dresden Files. I know a lot of people who like them, but the second someone <laughs> pointed out the just constant male gaze every time a female character is introduced, I haven't been able to read them and take it oh, seriously. Oh,
0: you know what that happened to me with? Oh gosh, what's his name? Hang on, I've purged the name of this book from my mind. Name of the Wind. Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss.
1: You know, people keep recommending that to me. There's
0: parts of it that are great and there's parts of the world building that are fantastic, but it's literally the Virgin Mary whore complex. Like every woman is either a strumpet or like his his love who needs to be saved. That's it. That's it. It's a, it's fantasy male wish fulfillment on its highest level. It is Ooh it's impressive it is really impressive how much of it is in that book and normally like I, i'm reading the witcher books right now and there's some of that there and i can get on with it because there's like it's the author is aware of it and he he makes satirical commentary about it but the name of the wind for me i couldn't get through it because it just it was just too like i wanted to wash after i after i read it so read it and, like, tell me what you think, because I'm curious, but I personally couldn't get through it. I did finish the first book, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't go beyond that. Okay, what else?
1: Uh, oh me tattoos. All right, so I think there are a couple obvious things in that Maeve should not be part of it.
0: I was gonna say, she's like the big bad evil guy. Yeah. She would make a fantastic big bad evil guy, but I don't want her as part of the party.
1: No, I. That's, that's a that's a problem character.
0: <laughs> Oof! I want Cacolan. Yeah, he would be great. That was the
1: other obvious thing that occurred to me was he needs to be there.
0: You need to have Cacolan. I feel like Fergus is a good bet too.
1: Is he the one who reads the Agum?
0: Yeah, he's the one who's accepted from from the augum. Yeah, so we want Fergus for sure. You've got Cacolan who's the brawn. You've got Fergus who's the brains. Who else do we what want?
1: The druid poet is that the same guy?
0: Duathch something like that we want him definitely and who else
1: let's see we do need a fourth i feel like the prophetess is probably more of an npc
0: that would still be so much fun though because she doesn't see everything remember she was in the wood and she couldn't see anything for the trees (laughs) i'm laughing (laughs) at my own joke that's so stupid (laughs) She literally couldn't see anything for the trees. I love that we have that idiom. And I love that we have the cultural context to make that joke. I do
1: also like the characterization of like, yeah, yeah, I have the gift of prophecy, but I've got, I got something <laughs> to do.
0: I've got to, I've got to go. There's an itch I need to scratch. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I say we can add her. Yeah, okay. All right. So we've got Cullin, Fergus, Dufach, and Fethelm. Perfect. There's enough inter-party conflict there to go around, for sure. Oh. The dungeon master's dictionary
1: terminology.
0: Yeah, what sort of terminology do we have?
1: All of Cucullin's various weapons, I feel like, are worth mentioning. Definitely
0: the gay Bolga, and what was the term for the the like groups of men?
1: Oh, um, it starts with it starts with a C or at yeah, least a K sound. Ken- Kentrin?
0: Something like that. Hang on. Yes, cantred. Cantrid, cantred. Cantred, okay. yes. So technically, it's a subdivision of a county, like a medieval subdivision of a county, but in this context, it's referring mm-hmm. to like a group of men. Right. And you can also use hundred. Right, 100. which is the Saxon version. Mm-hmm.
1: Or the Anglo-Saxon version. I don't know if the Continental Saxons had an analog. And
0: didn't Professor Hughes always tell us that a hundred was... 60 men or was 100 120 men
1: you're, yeah you're thinking of the long 100 yeah that's, yeah that's not nece- i don't know if that's necessarily like the same as the the group of people you get from that area of land but often when you when northern european sources from the medieval period talk about 100 100 anything they may actually mean 120. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, that's right.
1: It's counting the spaces between your fingers instead of your fingers.
0: That is so cool.
1: And I guess the spaces on each side of your hand as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Now we're just staring at our hands. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Okay, any other terminology? Uh, I did mention there are a bunch of place names in this text, mm-hmm. so I can add those in the blog post. We won't go through all of them now, especially because they're ridiculously hard to pronounce so you can just read those and pronounce them however you will and they make great fantasy names because you're not wrong because it's your own homebrew
1: that's right You (laughs) you, you can't be pronouncing it wrong because it's your place
0: exactly it's
1: like how i used to tell my my players I'm not doing a bad Slavic accent. I'm doing a perfect Orcish accent.
0: Exactly. And, you know, that is the perspective you need to have when you're doing tabletop games, in my opinion. Okay. Street Smots! What lessons from the text are we learning? I feel like there's a lot of morals that our characters are not learning, but we can take away.
1: I think you already mentioned that uh, we're learning to listen to the spooky six... Old prophetess
0: Yeah, listen to the prophetess people. Like she shouldn't have to repeat herself four times, especially not in magical poetic verse.
1: Have you tried turning it off and on again? Does not apply to prophecy.
0: <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I feel like listen to your wife and don't start arguments in bed. Yes. Like, okay, n- not not like listen to your wife in terms of mave specifically. Say, like, She's a bad example. Yes,
1: exactly. Don't if, if you're married to Maeve, maybe don't listen to your don't wife. Don't listen to your
0: wife. Like put up a fight, man. But at least don't start fights in bed. Don't be like, oh you're so lucky yes. to have me.
1: Yes, definitely never start that kind of conversation with your significant other. Yeah,
0: she will drag you through the mud or heat. Like it doesn't matter. Don't don't start that kind of pillow talk. That is, see, now we have an example of a very interesting failing relationship in Aalil and Maeve, but then we also have the flip side of that with Fethelm and Kukulun.
1: I mean, is it a relationship <laughs> or just a booty call?
0: I don't know. Kukulun has a couple of those, I think, so we'll see. Kukulun's getting it. Apparently, women are not turned off by the torque. So
1: the ladies love a distorted. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no.
0: Okay. Any other street smarts?
1: Leading herds of livestock into the bedroom never ends well.
0: Never. It does not end well. Also, don't start political fights. If you're a messenger, please don't start political fights when you're going to an ambassadorial, like on an ambassadorial mission. Because we we could have prevented this war.
1: Machismo and diplomacy do not mix. no.
0: Never. What else? Oh, okay. How about maybe man up and do the prophecy as it is foretold and don't deforest an entire section of woodland to try and get around it? Yeah.
1: That is a waste of many things. Oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. Do the right thing. Timber,
1: squirrels.
0: Also, log Like, you had a beautiful... Like, there's probably a road. Like, he put it on a pillar. He put it on the road. There was a road Mm -hmm. there already. Just throw the thing. Through
1: the thing. I'm sure, you've got a whole army of people. So someone's gotta be able to
0: Exactly. Okay. Uh-oh. Best moment. What is our best moment of the text?
1: Honestly, I think the best part is when they're bringing the livestock through the room. Be- not because like it's inherently interesting, but because of... Just the image. Because we kept thinking of it from the servants. From the <laughs> <queue>. <laughs> that makes the whole
0: thing so much That is easier. definitely the best moment in this entire text. Like the The entire premise of this story is this screwed up relationship between a king and a queen. It's the funniest thing, and it's over this cow... It's just, oh, that is definitely the best moment.
1: I I was skeptical when you said, like, it's a cattle raid, but it's an epic poem, (laughs) but I get it (laughs) Yes, it is
0: definitely epic.
1: Maeve even has a a Homeric tragic flaw in that she cannot de-escalate anything. She's just
0: gotta keep going. And Aleel won't take a stand, either. Mm -hmm. They're perfect for each other, in the worst sort of way. Okay. The court. Alright, so hey, you get to go first. You the story. Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like you already know who I'm picking.
0: You're either gonna pick Kakulan or Fed Elm. Gotta be Fed Elf. Yeah.
1: Continuing my streak of like apparently instinctually identifying with the female character. That's more,
0: fair, but... cause I'm just gonna pick Kakulen because he's just cool.
1: That's also fair.
0: There's such a like I wanna have like a whole little mini series or like subplot in whatever video game that I end up creating about this where they're just a power couple together. They seem like a great power couple.
1: You actually do know how to code,
0: don't you? I I've, I've self-taught a little bit. I am not very good at it. I am mostly I mostly want to come at it from a narrative design perspective and as far as I know in the industry right now, the people who are in the development side are not the people who are doing the coding except for in like really small indie studios. Yeah, so it sort of depends.
1: I feel like I've heard you talk about making games before. I
0: would love to. I would seriously love to. I would love to be in, like, involved in any part of the developmental process, especially from the creative side. So, that's what like that's what I would love to do with my degree is as much as I would adore being a professor and teaching like young minds about the weirdness that exists in the medieval period, I would also love to teach young minds through video games about the weirdness that existed in the medieval period. So,
1: you want some like gaming company to hire you as their medieval weirdness consultant. Yes,
0: please. <laughs> That would be amazing. <laughs> Just you know, call me up for like Ubisoft <laughs> or CD Project Red. You're working on the Witcher, like boy, I can help you there. I know all about the wild hunt. Oh. That would be great. Okay, so we've got our people from the court. Fantastic. So now we have the final rating. Uh, final rating. Should we do a final rating for each episode of the Toyn and then do a final one?
1: I think that since we've kind of started that precedent with other longer texts,
0: yeah. Okay, the toy. part one. What is your rating?
1: I am going to give it a nine.
0: A nine? I am I impressed. I can't say
1: it's perfect, but it's completely insane and there's a lot of like <laughs> interesting implications here and there and that's that's enough for me to, be, to put it near the top.
0: This is true. This is true. I will give it an 8.5 only because I have read this text before and this section of it has a lot of place names and a lot of they had this many hundred people and that many hundred people and later it gets more interesting because we have less of that and more craziness so um, it gets an 8.5 but I still love this text okay and now
1: incidentally, I don't know how to spell any of the um Irish so I'm leaving that i'm leaving most of the line blank on the spreadsheet
0: oh that is fine where is the little spreadsheet
1: I, I put the uh what's it? the oh, numbers in yes uh, welcome to the Leech's corner
0: let me jump into an interesting section for the Leech's corner today This is coming from Aspects of Anglo-Saxon Magic by Bill Griffiths, which he has a beautiful, well-researched text at the beginning, and then he puts a bunch of sources at the end. So it's a great sort of introduction to some of the more interesting charms slash remedies in the Anglo-Saxon Old English compendiums. So this one is With Dwell. Oh,
1: yeah, I know this one.
0: yes. Which is against a dwarf or a fever, and the reason that that is a question is that dwyrch is or Dweoch, dwyrch. I don't know dwyrch. The reason that that's a question is because that word refers to dwarves, but it can also refer to fever. So take your pick.
1: I'm gonna assume it's like elf shot, and they're just saying like, oh yeah, dwarves give you fever. Yeah, everyone knows this.
0: I wouldn't say that that's too far off. So, eh, we don't know. So, the translation of it is, Against a dwarf, or against fever, one must take seven small holy wafers, such as one makes holy communion with, and write these names on each wafer. Maximian, Malchus, John, Martimeon, Dionysus, Constantine, and Seraphion. Then again... The charm which hereafter is quoted one must sing first in the left ear then in the right ear and then upon the top of the man's head and then go to a maiden and let her hang it around his neck and do so for three days it will speedily be better for the patient and so the thing that you need to sing is rather interesting and the song is here came entering in a powerful being he had for him his coat at hand that said you were his steed laid his reins on your neck they began to move out of the area as soon as they got out of the area then his limbs began to cool then came entering in the beast's sister then she settled it and swore oaths that never this would harm the sick person, nor anyone for whom this charm could be obtained, or who knew how to intone this charm. Amen. Fiat. Or fiat. So be it.
1: I did not follow that song at all. I have no idea what just happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's rather odd. So what I understand from it is that it's saying there's a powerful being, like this dwarf. has Powerful dwarf. A powerful dwarf has said that you were his steed and laid his reins around your neck as in, like, is making you sick, is giving you the fever, and then began to move out of the area. As soon as they got out of the area, then his limbs began to cool. I don't know what that means. Like, the fever passes, the fever breaks, like, you're running a sweat and then you cool down. And then after that, then came entering in the beast's sister, then she settled it in swore Oaths. So maybe maybe the powerful being is not, in fact, the dwarf, but so Something else, because you have the powerful being, and then the powerful being sister who lays the charm around your neck, which I think is what the maiden analog is. Like that's mm-hmm. why you need a maiden in the charm, is that you have. It, it feels like it's intoning. A powerful person and then also a maiden as analogs of maybe pagan gods or other ancestral figures who were a part of this charm. And that way, no harm comes to you, the sick person, or who obtains this charm or who knows how to intone it.
1: What were the names on the wafers again?
0: They're very weird.
1: Yeah, it was striking me as like a weird combination of things.
0: So the original text is Maximanus, Malchus, Johannes, John, Martimanus, Dionysus, Constantinus, and Seraphion.
1: All right, so what I'm getting from that is that it's like a mix of mostly Roman, at mm-hmm. least one Greek. Mm-hmm. Johannes is neither because it's John. It,
0: yeah, it's John.
1: And, and you have Constantine. Malchus, well, Constantine's a Roman emperor. Yeah. Malchus sounds. Maybe that's Malcolm?
0: I guess. That's sort of Germanic, isn't it? So you have these weird names. They don't make sense. Like this, it it sort of makes sense that you'd have like Constantine because that has associations with Christianity, and it makes sense that you have John if you're invoking saints. Like, do we have a Saint Malchus or anything like that?
1: I don't know. I'm trying to see how is it spelled. M a l c h u s. Oh, interesting. Um, he arrested Jesus. Oh. He is the servant of the Jewish high priest Caiaphas.
0: Oh my.
1: Oh, according to the Bible, Simon Peter, armed with a sword, cut off Malchus's ear.
0: Oh, so that was Malchus. Oh, there's a footnote here that says the names are those of, quote, the seven sleepers.
1: I've heard that phrase before.
0: Okay, I've never heard that phrase before.
1: I don't... It's some kind of Christian folklore thing.
0: Ooh. Storms speculates that they could be invoked to produce calm sleep, and thus, that is the charm that is a cure for a fever.
1: The reason I've heard of them is because they're occasionally mentioned in Alfric's homilies.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But according to Wikipedia... It's the story of a group of youths who hid inside a cave outside the city of Ephesus, Ephesus, around 250 CE, to escape a religious persecution and emerge some 300 years later. Which sounds more fairy, but this is from uh, the Middle East, so no idea where that came from.
0: That seems very anachronistic. huh?
1: The earliest version of this story comes from the Syrian bishop Jacob of, I can't pronounce that word, uh, circa 450. To 521.
0: That seems very iffy. Yeah. Interesting. This this
1: is some story from, like, the beginning of the medieval period from, like, the Middle East, and I have no idea.
0: Weird, and it came into the Old English. Yeah. That's very interesting.
1: That does explain the mix of names, though. Because, like, there's some of them are biblical and and some of them are, are Roman.
0: Huh. That's very interesting. The question of the powerful being... In the song, the first line in the Old English is, Here come in Gangen in Spinden Wicht, which the footnote here says, Did you say
1: Spinden?
0: Yes, Spiden. Spiden. How's it spelled? S P I D E N. Because that is often altered to spider after Cockane's suggestion. Yep. But the allusion to writing doesn't make any sense in that case. And so it might go back to suife, meaning strong, since the minuscule P and W look very similar. So the minuscule being the way it was written in the manuscript, for those who are less familiar with...
1: Right, because that would be... um,
0: Understanding paleography.
1: That would be the win. Mm. W-Y-N-N.
0: Oh, yeah. So that's the first word, and then the second word is wicht, which is which corresponds to the Icelandic vatir, which might denote a supernatural being in its own right. So something along the lines of white, for instance, is we'd have a, a similar English word today. Yeah, so a, like sparrow a, a, white. Yeah, so like a spider. A, it could be a spider white. It could be a fast white. But it's some sort of powerful creature in any sense. It's it's interesting to me that they use holy wafers specifically. And you have these I would almost hesitate to say like pseudo-Christian names that are written upon them, as opposed to like, I will sign you with the cross, which is what we see in other charms, or maybe invoking Mary or something like that, but you have these these seven figures.
1: No, but... that's that's something that you see in a lot of the charms, is that they replace pagan elements with Christian elements yeah. just enough to make it like, oh no, this isn't know. pagan <laughs> I love that. The the field remedy. You have to do this whole thing with like seeds and dirt and it's like but have the dirt blessed by a priest.
0: <laughs> you know, just make it kosher. Oh wow, that's funny. But you do see, I think, some of these pagan elements in the song itself, in terms of like, okay, well you have a masculine figure and a female figure, and they're sort of analogous with whatever this being is and then the beast's sister. Whatever the beast is, the being or the beast. So I think I think that's definitely pagan in some sense, or at least invoke something there. Interesting. But there we go. That is with twill against a dwarf, or against a fever. So, next time you're ill, since we're getting into cold and flu season, try that one out. (laughs)
1: Let us know how it goes.
0: (laughs) Don't forget, you do have to sing it in the left ear, and then the right ear. First the left, then the right, and then on the top of the sick person's head.
1: And you also have to find a maiden, apparently.
0: And... And let's see... Well done. I'm trying to see in the Old English whether it's very specific about that. Maidanman. So it isn't maiden.
1: I am looking this up. Oh, The Bosworth Toller page changed their, um, what you call uh, design. Oh. Which is frustrating, because now it's all shitty.
0: Aw, sad. But for those who are interested in the Old English, I'll go ahead and read that last line. And gathane an maiden man. To and ho hit on his sweuren, and do man swa three dagas. So three days. Him beith sona sel. He'll be soon better.
1: All right, is there a G? Is it G or just m a s d?
0: M a E-N. All
1: right, because that might mean madman.
0: <laughs> I like that way more. So you have to find the local crackhead. You gotta find the local madman. Like, the crazy guy. Oh my gosh. But
1: that is also a a recognized variant spelling for maiden.
0: Interesting. So if it doesn't work one way, listeners, there are two ways you can go about trying this. And it should should be easier to find a madman on a college campus, might I add. I wonder if referring to madman it refers to, like, the crazy priest. Because not to be completely anachronistic here, but Floki in the Viking show is sort of a representative of someone who does use magic, like a male individual who uses magic, who is supposedly kind of crazy. And that there is a historical basis for magic being a woman's thing, especially in these sort of cultures, in Old English and Icelandic cultures. And so if you do have a man who's doing it, he is considered kind of crazy. So I wonder if maybe that's That's too far of a reach, but...
1: No, uh, see there—that's a real thing. Yeah, I see Thor. Yes,
0: yeah, see through magic. Yeah,
1: but I, I know that that's whenever you go into Norse myth, that's one of the things that people that other gods like mock Odin for is that he does mm-hmm. see there. Just he, he does see mm-hmm.
0: there. Same with Loki. Yeah, but there we go against a dwarf or against a fever. So right. try that out, folks. Let us know how it goes.
1: <laughs> and let us know whether the madman or the maiden was the right choice. Yeah,
0: then we can we can have an actual study and cite that, and we can, we can submit that to some someone.
1: <laughs> this might be a little bit of a stretch, but we can try.
0: <laughs> 100%. That would All be right. amazing
1: to have in a medical journal.
0: Wouldn't that just?
1: <sighs> Are madmans or maidens better for fee Madmans? Madmen <laughs> or maiden <laughs> better? Maiden... <laughs> I'm not gonna say that sentence properly.
0: That's fair. I've gotten to the point where I've I'm reading so much in old English and in Middle English and then in modern English that my notes are a mess of spellings where I'm spelling some things in old English and some things in Middle English and then some words in modern English and it's like, why am I doing this? Like I'll spell with W-I-T-H-E. Like why? Why am I adding an E? Or better, I'll add another E and I'll only use one T. I'm like, what am I what am I doing?
1: When I'm writing, like, notes f- to leave for other people, I have to forcefully remind myself not to use a thorn or an e and to actually write out th.
0: <laughs> exactly! You get so used to doing it, it's like, oh no, people aren't gonna know what I'm talking about. Ugh. It's, it's, but
1: it's one letter, it's so much quicker.
0: It's so easy. Ugh. Okay, well I think that is it
1: for this week. Yeah, we have been doing this for over two hours, yes, so we it's have. time to wrap up.
0: Okay. Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter at Maniculum and on Instagram at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify.
1: Yeah, sorry, I'm trying to calm the dog down. Ah. My roommate just moved in, and Delilah is still excited about having a new person oh, in the house. Oh, that's
0: so exciting! Yay, Delilah!